Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I want to continue talking to you today about being happy on Judgment Day. Now, of course, we live in a society that, that basically doesn't even believe in a Judgment Day. They don't believe in truth, right? But uh, there is an absolute truth. And as sure as the sun rises in the east, someday you are going to stand before God. Your body is going to wear out, and you're going to give an account, the Bible says, for the things that are done in the flesh. In fact, Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 22. He said, behold, I'm coming quickly. In my reward, the Message Bible says, my paycheck is in my hand to give to everyone according to what he's done. So Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 11 through 15, really talk about Judgment Day. But I'm just going to break this down and tell you what's going to happen. You are basically going to be asked two questions. The first question is, what did you do with Jesus? Did you receive him? Did you give him your heart and your life? Was he your king? Was he your Lord? Did you live for him? Did you receive Jesus? Question number two is what did you do for Jesus? Because heaven is not going to be a government housing project. No, you're going to be rewarded for what you have done. Okay. So with that, I want to jump over here to Luke chapter 15. And Jesus tells the story about a steward who is misusing his master's funds. And he's being called to account for what he's doing. So he said that the steward, he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to him, mother, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves with unrighteous mammon, that when you fail or die, they may receive you into everlasting homes. Now, Jesus is not commending the unjust steward for stealing, but he's commending him for doing something that will prepare for his future. Now, most Americans today, they have some sort of a retirement fund. Putting, they're putting some money aside or they're thinking, well, Social Security is going to take care of me sometime in the future. Right? And there may come a day that you're going to need that. Right? But there is a day that is coming for sure right? When you're going to want to have something laid aside, right? And Jesus said to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And what Jesus said here is he was shrewd because he looked ahead and he prepared for people to receive him. And this is what Jesus said, that when you sow into the kingdom of God and your money blesses somebody and they get saved or they get delivered, 
that those people are going to be your friends for eternity. He said, they are going to welcome you into everlasting habitation. You may thought your friends for eternity were going to be your buddies from high school. You probably don't even remember their names. Right? But the people who are touched by what you do and give in the kingdom of God, Jesus said, they will be your friends. They are going to receive you into everlasting habitations. I think that is phenomenal. Now, when Jesus says this, right, and he talks a little bit more about this principle, these principles, then I want you to listen to verse 14, same chapter. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. All right? So the Pharisees hear what Jesus is saying, and they don't buy it. Jesus is saying, use your money to prepare for eternity. And the Pharisees, they deride him. Other translations say they mocked him, right? They scoffed at him, they ridiculed him, and they made sarcastic remarks against him, right? And Jesus is saying, use your money to prepare for eternity. But again, the Pharisees didn't buy it. Now, the Bible says this about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, Moses is part of the royal family. He lives in Pharaoh's house. Whatever the world had to offer, pleasure, position, possessions, Moses had it in spades, right? But he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God then enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You, this is, may, may, I don't think this is going to come as a surprise to you, but sin can be fun. In fact, if you sin and don't enjoy it, you probably didn't do it right. <laughs> Look what the Bible says this. It says the passing pleasure of sin. Is there pleasure in sin? The Bible says there's pleasure, but it's temporary, right? It is temporary. Moses looked at the pleasure, at the position, at the possessions, and he carefully made a calculation. And he realized all the earthly pleasures, position, possessions, are nothing compared to the eternal reward that I'm going to receive if I follow Christ. And I'm willing to suffer affliction with the people of God, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. What was greater riches? Following, following God and the reward he would receive. But it, and it says it this way, for he looked to his reward. Right? Now, I want to tell you there's one time it's all right to be greedy, right? It's all right to be greedy when it comes to heavenly rewards, right? Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? So uh, I'm going to guess it's probably three, three and a half months ago. Um, I, I was walking by Pastor David, who was up here on the piano uh, today, and, and, and I said to him, hey, how are you and Jessica doing? He's like, good. And I said, well, how are your folks? Now, he's from Uganda, and uh, his father um, 
is the bishop over about 3,000 churches in Uganda. And, and he said, well, he says, you know, their health is fine. He says, but uh, things are not good. He said, during COVID, uh, how many of you know COVID kind of turned everybody's world upside down? All right. And so during COVID, they, they were taking care of a lot of people and were not able to do the normal things that they would do for fundraising. He said, and so in order to keep doing what they were doing, they mortgaged a Christian school with between 800 and 1,000 students and a radio station. He said, and now the people that they borrowed the money from are coming and they're, they're taking possession. And I said, when's this happening? He said, like in 10 days. So I said, well, how much do they owe? And he said, well, I'll find out. So I got, I got Bernie, you know, the CFO guy. And, uh, and I said, Bernie, what do you think about this? And David came back and said, they owe uh, $180,000. And I said, well, Bernie, how much do we have? He said, 186. I said, well, wire the money. Right. And so we've got this video we'd like you to take a look at. The church that I've grown up in, which is my parents' church, the gospel kept growing. The church has a radio station. The key thing with the radio station is it can be the gospel all year round, every day, every minute. Most people have this radio, and that's the best way to stay con connected. Radios are in every region now, all the way into Congo some parts of Rwanda, parts of Tanzania, and even some parts of Kenya. People calling, people being prayed for when they're in the hospitals. The doctors tell you, man, we turned on the radio and the mood in the whole room changed. Having a line of hope that they can come together and listen. Just looking at the population of like the Ugandan population, 46 million people plus, your reach is in millions of people for the gospel. And then the church also has the school. The school has between 800 and 1,000 students. Most of them are from those village churches that have been planted through the ministry. So just the impact to help these pastors continue doing their ministries while their kids can go to school is a big impact and influence for their families. If it wasn't for the generosity of Ray's life, the radio station would be gone and the school would be gone. On behalf of my parents' church and ministry in Uganda, thank you, Ray's Life Church, and thanking God for the provision that he allowed to work through Ray's life. So, 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 so thank you. But the only reason that we were able to do that is because of what you give. And that is really what you've done. Now, I think that it's really interesting that George Soros, how many know who George Soros is? It's about everybody. All right. He's buying the largest, most influential Spanish radio stations in America. He's just picking them up like hotcakes. You know why he's doing it? To influence the Spanish population, all right, into his very, very liberal mindset and way of thinking. But you know what? Jesus called that being shrewd, right? To use your money to affect people, right? And what Jesus called us to do is to use our money to affect people for eternity, right? And, and literally, that is what you did when uh, you saved that radio station, saved a Christian school with nearly 1,000 students in it. Do you know how much money it costs to build a, a school for 
a thousand students. Man, 180 grand was like nothing compared to what that would cost. It would cost millions of dollars. So I just think, wow, what a great opportunity to do something for the kingdom of God. Now, verse 10, he who is faithful in the least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in least is also unjust in much. You know, it's really easy to think, well, if I had X number, then I would do this, right? And if I had this, then I would do that, right? But do nothing with what we have. I heard the story. I don't know that it's true, but I did hear this story. Pastor went to a farmer in his church and he said, George, he said, George, if you had a hundred pigs, he says, what would you give to the, he said, ha, pastor, if I had a hundred pigs, I would give God 50 pigs. Pastor went, wow. He said, George, if you had 50 pigs, what would you, he said, pastor, if I had 50 pigs, I want you to know I'd give God 20 pigs. The pastor said, well, George, if you had 10 pigs, what would you do? And he said, pastor, you know I have 10 pigs. Don't ask that. <laughs> you know, it's real easy to think what we would do if, right, but not do something with what we have. You know, Jesus is sitting outside the temple. And as you walked in, there was a box where you put your offering. And the Bible says Jesus watched people put in their in, into that box. And it says that many put in large amounts, but a poor widow came by and put in two pennies. And Jesus, and it was all she had. And Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than any of them. Right? Because she gave all that she had. It's not just what we give. It's what we have left over. And that's why most of the time, it's poor people that outgive rich people. Because God doesn't just look at the amount. He looks at the heart. Jesus goes on, therefore, if you haven't been faithful and unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Jesus is saying God looks at how we handle money to determine our spiritual blessings. He says, you're not going to get true riches, which are spiritual blessings, right? If we don't handle our money right. If you haven't been faithful in what's another man's, who will give you what's your own? No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon being money and the things that money can, can buy. And, and literally, what Jesus is telling us is money is the number one false god. And the way that you break its power off from your life is by worshiping God with your money. Right? That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, as you begin to sow into the kingdom of God, your heart follows your money. He says, as you sow, your heart's going to go towards the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, it says, but remember this. Now, Jesus tells parables, but there are also parallels in the Bible, right? And here, Paul is giving us a parallel. He says, this is what it's like in the natural. It's like two railroad tracks, all right? Each, each line, well, each track is exactly parallel to the other. And he said, there's a parallel between spiritual truth and something that happens in the natural. Remember this, 
If you give little, you'll get little. The farmer who plants a few seeds gets only a small crop, but if he plants much, he'll reap much. So he's saying, as we sow, we're going to reap. If you only sow an acre, you're only going to reap on an acre. You sow 40, you reap on 40. Everyone must make up his own mind how much he should give. Don't force anyone to give more than they really want to. For a cheerful giver is the one God prizes. Verse 8, for God is able to make it up to you. We'll say that again. God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more. So there's not only enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. In in Malachi, God says, prove me, test me now in this. See if I won't open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing, there won't be room enough to receive it. You see, as a believer, when when our trust and our confidence is in God, your banker can be having an anxiety attack, and you've got perfect peace. Um, When when Jeannie and I graduated from, from Bible college, we went to Mexico, and we were there for seven years. Um, for the first three and a half years, we had zero churches that supported us. Zero. So, so we got to Mexico. Um, I had always been a good saver, and so uh, I had money to go to college. And then we got married, and we went to Mexico, and we ran out of money after about two and a half, three months. Uh, we had, by this time, we had uh, started a church. And I was supposed to preach. I don't remember if it was a Tuesday or a Thursday, but I do remember what happened very, very clearly. Uh, we were eating kind of like our last meal. Now, it wasn't like we were dying, but Jeannie made pancakes and they didn't have everything in them. I don't remember what was missing, but I, I know it was stuff missing. I remember, you know, it was not good. All right. And I'm supposed to preach. All right. But we do not have eight cents to our name. It costs eight cents to take a bus. I can't get to church. We've got our car and it's sitting in the driveway, but there's no gas. I don't have enough, church. I don't have enough gas to get to church. Right? And I'm sitting there thinking, I got to preach. I don't have a way to church. And so I, I, I remember I just ate those pancakes, what well, kind of pancake things, kind of like, you know. And, and I was walking in the hall in the house and I said, God, I remember in Bible school, they told us when things got really bad, that's when you moved. And I said, God, that is now. And about that time, there's a knock on the door. And I go and answer the door. It's Rogelio, one of the guys from church. Uh, And he says to me, he says, uh, he says, Pastor, you, you, you wouldn't need a ride to church, would you? Now, look. I've been doing this for 48 years. That's the only time anybody ever asked me if I needed a ride to church. So I said, yeah, I would. So I'd jump in his Volkswagen bug with him and we drive to church. I literally walk in the front door of the church and a man walks up to me and in perfect English, he says to me, I think I had seen this guy one time before, never saw him after." He said to me, he said, I feel impressed to give you $20. 
I said, well, I feel impressed to receive those $20. (laughs) So uh, we had service and went home and I got them changed to pesos. And I gave Jeannie half and I took half. Now, I took half to get gas. Because some other missionaries who had now left had arranged for two evangelists to come from California. And uh, we were the only ones who could take care of them. Right? So I'm supposed to go pick these evangelists up from the airport in Guadalajara. And Jeannie is going to go get food. Right? Now, she's got $10. So she goes to the vegetable market, and she buys fruit and vegetables. Right? And she, she gets home. So you walk, you know. And uh, she's putting it away, and she's like, okay. She's planning her meals. Fruit salad for breakfast. Vegetable salad for lunch. Fruit salad for dinner vegetable salad for breakfast. She's trying to plan it all out. And, and, and she told me, she says, you know, I started to cry. And uh, when you don't have flour, you don't have salt, you don't have milk, you don't have anything left, you know. She says, it just wasn't working out in her mind. Knock on the front door. She goes over, answers the door. And this lady's there. And uh, she says, uh, my husband and I, we felt impressed to go to this grocery store and buy you a bunch of groceries. We don't know why, but this is what we thought we should do. So would you come and help me? And they bring in five or six bags and boxes full of meat and flour and sugar and milk and you name it, right? Now listen, we saw God do that almost every day for three and a half years. I am telling you, he is able to make it up to you by doing every, giving you everything that you need and more besides, more besides. Again, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, for God who gives seed to the farmer to plant and later on good crops to harvest and eat will give you, who? You, more and more seed to plant and make it grow so you can give away more and more. So you can give away more and more, more and more. You know, I, I hear people talk about, you know, the prosperity gospel. Well, I, I just want to tell you there is gospel prosperity, right? But gospel prosperity is not just so you can sit back and be a fat cat. The Bible says God will bless you so you can give away more and more. Does God want you blessed? Absolutely. But not just for yourself. He wants you blessed so you can give away more and more fruit from your harvest. It's like there's one hand to receive, another hand to give. But as the money goes through, there's always plenty for you. Ephesians 2.10, for we, that's us, you and me, we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may do those good works which God predestined. Now, predestined is just a big word that means planned beforehand. So God has good works he planned beforehand for us. God has good works he's planned beforehand for you and for me taking the paths he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. 
living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Yet you may have heard, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's not true. He who dies with the most toys is dead. He who prepares for eternity, who sends on ahead and dies, they win. Because their, their, their provision, their reward, they're laying up for themselves treasures in heaven, it's, it's there. It's waiting for them. You know, your job, your career is what you do for a living. But the good works that God has prepared for you, that is your purpose. Right? When uh, the, the uh, Samson is about to be born, an angel comes and appears to his parents. Now, his father said to the angel, now, when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? Every child that's born has a mission or a purpose, right? And you may not realize it, but you have a mission. You have a purpose, right? God has prepared good works beforehand for each and every one of us to do, right? Now, I, I wanted to explain to you how they catch monkeys in Brazil today, all right? because it's very, very pertinent, all right? Now, now to catch a monkey in Brazil, you know, what, the, what, what, what that indigenous man does is he goes out in the jungle and he finds a clearing, right? And he'll have some sort of a transparent container, right? He sees the monkeys up in the tree, and he takes a banana in full view of the monkey and puts it inside of the container. And then he goes off and he hides in the bush and the monkey sees the banana and the monkey comes over and grabs the banana. However, the man now sees the monkey and comes out of the bush with a club and the monkey sees the man coming. And all he has to do is let go of the banana and run up a tree. But you know what the monkey never does? The monkey never lets go of the banana. And the native man comes over and taps him on the head kind of hard. (laughs) I'm saying this real nice. Now, I just want you to know that the devil is playing us like that man plays the monkey. He's telling you, hey, he who dies with the most toys wins. That there's really what satisfaction, what's going to give you purpose, what's going to give you pleasure, what's going to give you value are the things of this world. But it's not true. It's not true. The Bible says to set your affection on things above, right? Viktor Frankl, who... uh, was a psychiatrist. And in his early 20s, or mid-20s, actually, uh, during World War II, as a Jew, he was put into one of the, the uh, death camps. His wife and his mother were both gassed to death. But he made this observation, which he wrote in his book. He said, when human beings lack purpose in life, they dull the pain of meaninglessness by pursuing pleasure. He says, if you don't have purpose, he says, you will dull your meaningless life by pursuing pleasure, which ultimately 
will not satisfy. And again, uh, Ephesians 4 and 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what's good, that he may have something to give to him who is in need. So when you and I think about work, the first thing that comes to our mind is providing for ourselves. You know, and that's a good thing. You need to provide for your own. The Bible says if you don't provide for your own, especially those of your own household, it says you've denied the faith, right? But when God talks about work, the first thing that he says is that he may have something to give, okay? That he may have something to what? To give. Not just thinking about yourself, right? But have something to give. Uh, I would like to say particularly to, to someone who may be a little bit older in life, uh, instead of retiring, I think you should consider keeping on working. Right? And work in order to give, in order to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says you will lay up for yourself a good foundation for the life that is to come. Right? Instead of just looking at this life. And by the way, um, you know, how many days can you golf? How many days can you go fishing? Right? But, but, but consider, it's not just to, to, to take care of yourself, but God says to give, to, to sow for eternity. You know, if we look at our life and, and uh, look at it in light of eternity, in fact, I've got a little diagram I've all right. That dot right there, that represents your, your, your hundred years or however long you're going to live on this earth. But that, that line with the, with the arrowhead on the end, that represents eternity. Do, do you want to focus everything on that little bit that's right now? Or do you want to think about all of eternity? Because the rewards that we receive, they're for eternity. J Jesus said, a thief doesn't steal. Rust doesn't come. You see, he's saying this is impossible. You sow here, you're not going to lose the reward that you, that you, uh, you accumulate by sowing into the kingdom of God. Hey, we've got another short video that we'd like you to take a look at about Pakistan. My name is Vaish. I born and brought up in Pakistan. But six years ago, I moved to USA. I met my wife. We live nine months in USA and three months we live in Pakistan and do the ministry work with my parents. I remember it was four days before the U.S. officially pulled out from Afghanistan. And our main guy in Afghanistan told us that there is 197 new converts who need urgent help to leave the country because they are on the target list of Taliban. I remember I had a lunch with Pastor Dwayne and Pastor Bernie and we shared what we are doing. And I remember Pastor Bernie said, we can support you in that effort. And then one day before U.S. pulled out, we were able to rescue 197 new believers out of Afghanistan. 
when we started we were not envisioning what god is doing now because we planned to rescue 197 people but grateful to rest for helping us rescue 2606 people and now have 15 refugee camps scattered in all over pakistan we also have some families who wanted to go back and take the gospel in their villages in their tribes to their family members they don't want to just keep it to themselves they wanted to take that back to those who don't know about jesus and want them to give the same opportunity they receive to receive jesus christ as their personal savior and i also would like to thank rest life for playing such a vital role not just in rescuing people but now taking care of them and helping us to tell them about jesus hey i'm i'm going to guess on the exact time frame but i think it's about 135 years ago that ct stud was the most famous cricket player in the world uh besides his fame as a cricket player his uh family was incredibly incredibly wealthy uh, born in england and uh he made this statement he he uh decided to be a missionary go to china went to china and then later to india excuse me to uh africa but he gave away all of his wealth right and he said this only one life and soon will be passed and only what's done for Christ will last in his day he had the fame of taylor swift and michael jordan combined right he may have been the best known human on the planet right extremely wealthy but he gave it all do you know he has no regrets no regrets only one life soon will be passed only what's done for christ will last i wanted to close with one last scripture in malachi chapter 3 well known scripture it says uh, will a man rob god but you've robbed me but you say in what way have we robbed you god responds in tithes and offerings for you have robbed me even this whole nation and then he goes on and he says bring the full tithe to the storehouse and there'll be food in my house prove me test me now in this it's the only time god says to test him right and see if i won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing but here's what what struck me right god says you've robbed me right now a thief comes by stealth right and their purpose is to stealthily enter to take something from you and to leave totally undetected but a robber on the other hand threatens bodily harm the robber comes up with a gun and says give it to me or i will shoot you i will slap your wife i will do whatever right threatens bodily harm so when god says when we don't sow into the kingdom of god he says you're threatening bodily harm i think it's interesting Saul was persecuting the church but Jesus said Saul Saul why do you persecute me why do you persecute me do you know when when uh, if you don't sow into the kingdom of God you don't hurt God but you know what you do hurt you hurt the body of Christ you hurt people 
who would be ministered to, who would hear the gospel, but don't hear the gospel. I think that's why God used the, the word robbed me, because it does harm. Not, not Well, in one sense, it does to you because you're losing a reward, right? But it harms the body of Christ. And, and I just want to encourage everyone to be all in. Be all in. And as the Bible says, set your affection on things above, right? Look at what you can do, taking of what God has blessed you with, using it for the kingdom of God to get people saved, healed, delivered, get them right with God and change people's eternity. And Jesus said, those people are going to receive you into everlasting homes. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Again, in a group of this size, there's always people in every spiritual condition, people that have lived for God for decades, people that at one time lived for God but have drifted away. And then there's so many that just don't know where you stand with God. The Bible says we've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. You are not supposed to die and find out if you made it to heaven. You're supposed to know you're forgiven, right with God, and that you're on your way to heaven. So Romans 10, verse 13 says, Whosoever, that's you, will call on the name of the Lord. We're going to do that the way the Bible shows us to. And this is the promise. will be saved. If you're away from God, you're not right with God. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud from your heart. Make these words your own. Would you repeat this? Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that his blood paid for my sins, and that he rose again, victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart, in all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King, my Lord, and my Savior, and I'm going to live for Him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone, and I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.